Grace and peace to you this morning. It is good to be here with you today. As we prepare for worship, I invite you to take two or three deep breaths to center yourself in this place and in this space. Let us now prepare our hearts and our minds to worship God. rise in body and soul for the call to worship. Just as the word of God came to the prophet Joah, Jonah also comes to us. Go, despite your fears, speak the truth of God, love your neighbor and your enemy, forgive as you have been forgiven, receive grace upon grace. Overflowing from the fullness.
may be seated. Welcome to Westminster. Welcome to worship at Westminster, a church that is not only on Sunday but all week long. We're glad that you're here. Whether you've been coming for a long time or this is one of your first few times or maybe your first time, I encourage you, if you're new here, to look around and find someone with a name tag. Uh, They might be able to answer questions about the church or uh, tell you a little bit more. If you've been here for a while and you're not wearing your name tag, it is a shame-free community, but don't let it happen again. (laughs) And... uh, During the anthem, we invite you to pass down the register and back so that you can see who's worshiping around you and that we might have record of your attendance, especially if you're looking to uh, connect more deeply to the church. Now, as one body, let us pray with one voice the community prayer printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Holy One, what a blessing we share here in this sacred space and among this loving community. What a joy it is to rejoice together in your abundant love. Sometimes, though, it is not easy to share your love with others. Forgive us our reluctance to open our hearts. Forgive us our hesitation and unwillingness to offer love to those we might consider unlovable. May the wideness of your mercy be reflected in our thoughts and actions. May the depth and breadth of your grace be our guide. Amen. Our prayers continue in silence. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. God's steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Know that we are a forgiven people and be at peace. Amen. This is the week of the month that we celebrate birthday blessings. So if this is your birthday month or if you missed your birthday month, I invite you to come down and uh, stand in a line before the congregation for a blessing. Each new year is indeed a blessing. Each new day is a blessing. And so we are thrilled to celebrate with you on this, your birthday month, and offering a blessing, offer a blessing from God. You'll notice that I took, uh, opened the font as you came forward because for me, remembering your physical birthday is a good time to remember your spiritual birth in Christ, which 
As Christians, we note uh, in the sacrament of baptism. So after you receive your blessing, your individual blessing from Bethany or from me, I invite you, if you feel so led, to come over to the font and touch the waters and be reminded of Christ's love for you and Christ's naming and claiming you. And we leave that font open for the entire day so that should you feel a need to be especially reminded this morning of Christ's naming and claiming of you, that you could come up after the service and likewise touch that water. So on your birthday, a poem by Raymond Carver, Late Fragment. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. I'll read it again. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. Friends, may you not only call yourself beloved in this moment, but may you tangibly feel yourself as a beloved child of God on God's beloved earth. Happy birthday. this time, I invite any children not already up here to come on down for a little time of discovery. First place, you get a ribbon for that. Nicely done. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right. Good morning. Nice to see you. Anybody, anybody here for the first time? Okay, I just I, I should ask that sometimes because it's kind of hard to be somewhere new when you're a kid and we can get the other kids to help you feel welcome. So in any event, it's nice to see all of you. You know, once there was this person who said such wonderful things and did such amazing things that people just felt called to follow him. This one, as you know, was named Jesus. And Jesus did all kinds of incredible things. Jesus loved to tell stories. Do you like to hear stories? Yeah, that's right. Loved to tell stories that helped people understand on all kinds of levels how to be better friends with God and how to be kinder to others and kind to themselves. Jesus did all kinds of amazing things, too. Jesus was so close to God and, and such a good friend to nature that 
they told stories of how Jesus even uh, did things like controlled storms. Amazing. They said, wow, who is this one that even the seas listen to him in the wind, in the rain? Jesus was unafraid to tell people how to be better friends with God and how to be kind, even when some of the things he said weren't that popular. Speaking of unpopular, Jesus wasn't afraid when someone wasn't liked or someone wasn't well and was sent off by themselves. Jesus wasn't afraid to go be with that person. Maybe you've seen somebody off by themselves, not so happy. Jesus would go and be with those people, make them feel better. Did all kinds of incredible things. One of the things Jesus was known for was healing. The word in the stories actually comes from the word nursing. He would come and nurse people when they weren't well, and often, as if miraculously, they would feel and be better. So, one day Jesus was on the way to do just that, heal a girl, a kid, just like you. Wasn't, wasn't well at all. And on the way, a crowd gathered around him because people started to figure out who this was, and they wanted to get close to him. Now, there was a woman in that crowd who'd been unwell for many years, 12 years, probably longer than many of you have been here. And when she figured out who that was, what do you suppose she did? She wanted to get close to him to see if he could finally make her feel better after 12 years. And what do you think happened next, knowing what you know about Jesus? Well, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> because otherwise, you might go to Pete's on the way to, and not make it to Sunday school. <laughs> so in the Sunday school, you're going to talk about that story. And the caring adults who brought you today can ask them later, what did you learn about? And together you could discover how that story unfolds. Now, I know you're used to going into Finley Hall on the way to Sunday school, but today look for your sign associated with your class because you're going to go right to class. And some of maybe the older ones here could help some of the younger ones if they have trouble finding their sign, okay? Let's say a prayer. Dear God, help us to learn from Jesus to be better friends with you and kind to one another. Amen. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. As our children make their way on to Sunday school, I invite uh, Bill McLeod and Jonathan Purdue forward to share uh, a word from this year's stewardship team to give you an update on where we, where we are now and a little bit about where we're headed. So Jonathan and Bill, come on forward. I'm waiting for my partner in crime here. <laughs> um, so, first of all, for those who don't know me, because I haven't been up here very much, my name is Bill McLeod, and I'm a member of the stewardship uh, committee, um, and I'm the rookie in the room, so this is my first time having done this, and I just want to take a moment before I get into the numbers, which is really my job, um, I talk too much sometimes, um, but um, is to, 
is to express some gratitude for being part of this. Um, and I didn't, one thing I didn't expect going into this was what it would be like to watch all these pledges come in, you know, from people, from individuals, from families who have their own means of giving and, and that sort of thing. But just to watch it all happen, it's pretty wondrous. And, um, and I have a lot of uh, uh, appreciation for it. Right, uh, and 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 just how how generous this congregation is. So it's uh, it's it's heartwarming to to see it from this vantage point, and for that I'm very grateful. So with that, let me get into the numbers. Um, we set a goal. So just to give you some historical perspective, uh, the 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 campaign that we run is only part of the budget for the church. Um, there are some other revenue sources, but it's the biggest. Um, two years ago, we raised 630000 Last year, um, 709000 And our goal was to get to 740 this year. In terms of churches in the United States, that's an aggressive trajectory um, uh, and an ambitious one. We didn't get to our goal of 740. Um, we are currently at 701000 so we're about 95% of our goal. And for those of you who haven't made a pledge but are still thinking about it, operators are standing by. Um, <laughs> We are still happy to take your pledge. We, we, we think we'll narrow the gap a little bit. But in fairness, um, with a, m- missing that goal, there will be some budget adjustments that we'll have to make. So there are consequences in that. But we'll get there. Um, just to give you some of the specific numbers, um, there were 205 pledges. Um, the average pledge was $3,420. That was versus $3,270 last year. So we had a bump up in the average pledge. But this is a, uh, just so you know, the, the numbers are such that there's not one big pledge or two big pledges that drives the whole budget. I mean, it's, you know, it's many, many pledges from many of you. So, again, for that, we're very grateful. Um, 7% of the pledges were new, um, and 46% of the pledges were increases from last year. So, again, for that, we're, we're, we're grateful. Um, I think the important number, though, <clears throat> is that 73% of the giving units within the membership of the church gave meaning that, you know, families or whatnot we count as a giving unit. And so um, we can bump that number up. Um, I, I, I had this uh, new guy, oh, we, we're going we're gonna to hit 100%. I don't think you ever hit 100% because, you know, people go through all sorts of financial things from year to year. But, but we do think there's room to improve that in, in coming years. But in the context of churches, and we did some research on this going into this year's campaign, 73% is a pretty high number. So, uh, so thank you all for that. Um, this too is just in advance of a capital campaign, which is, which is upcoming. And as you know, there's three legs to the giving stool. There's, there's the annual campaign, there's legacy giving, and then there's capital giving. And we're going to kick off a capital campaign in the coming, uh, weeks, uh, which we're really excited about. But this was raised, the $701,000 was raised in advance of that, um, which again is something to be, to be quite thankful for. Um, one last thing for me, and then I'll hand it over to Jonathan, which is a little plug um, about getting involved. Um, from somebody who, you know, I didn't know what this was going to be like, and I'm one year into it, but um, definitely I, I think I get a lot more out of it than I put into it. And so I would encourage you, whether it's stewardship or other things to do in the church, is to, is to get involved, even if it's small, um, because I think you'll enjoy it and get a lot out of it. So with that, I'll hand it over to Jonathan. Thank you, Bill. Uh, you're a, a real treasure, uh, pun intended. And uh, I, for one, look forward to you taking the helm of the leadership in the near future. Um, it is true, we came up a little south. 
of the pledge number, but we can assure you that the church, the congregation, is on very fa- uh, sound footing. And though you won't see us up here uh, until September again, we would like to encourage you, per what Bill said, to consider filling in your time with a, just a fabulous experience, and that's serving on the Stewardship Commission. So we'd love to have you. In a very real sense, uh, we met a much larger goal. We continue to gather and worship together, to sing and mourn together, to pray and rejoice together, and yes, flip pancakes together, as we will this morning. And we gather to give together, for which the stewardship group Technically, the Communications Stewardship Commission extends our thanks to you on behalf of the pastors, the staff, on behalf of the uh, congregation, on behalf of those who will come through these doors this year and be thankful themselves for your generosity. So please know that from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for your giving in spirit and in kind. Thank you. Thanks to both of you and to the entire team. And as Jonathan has been good to teach us, we're all part of that team. So we're really grateful for your generosity. Bill alluded to the capital campaign. That group has actually already been working kind of behind the scenes. This week we'll have a a two-day kind of uh, training and kickoff. And next week we'll be blessing that team and getting the campaign underway in earnest. So these are really exciting times to be a part of this congregation. So those are joys, and one of the ways we build ourselves up as a community is to share our joys and our concerns with one another so we can uh, know what's going on in each other's lives and so that we can hold one another in prayer. So if you have a joy or a concern that you would like to share with the body, just raise your hand and speak up. Yeah, Carolyn. Carolyn's daughter, Molly, and and fiancé, Muhammad, are here, and they'll be married in June, and we're thrilled to see them both. Scotty. Scotty lifts up uh, Senator John McCain for prayers, and I know many of you have the functioning of the government on your hearts and minds, and so we hold all of those leaders in prayer. Yeah, Bruce. Just prayers for my nephew and his family. My great niece was put on life support on Thursday. They're taking her off tomorrow, withdrawing it. So prayers for that family. Bruce has been keeping us up to date for some time on his great niece, and She's been on life support, and they will withdraw her um, tomorrow. We hold that family in deep prayer. Please, Amanda. I have a a friend, maybe, who's less of a story, was diagnosed with stage 4 pediatric cancer and was about 33 or 34 years old. Mm. I have a little 4-year-old girl. Please pray for their 
Amanda lifts up a 34-year-old friend with stage 4 pancreatic cancer with a small child. Hold them in prayer. Yeah, Mildy. Thank you. Mildy's brother had surgery this week. Ruthie. Yes. Uh, was, had um, bicep surgery this past oh. weekend and recovered well. Uh, the second is I became aware this week of how um, an, an aspect of recovery from the fire that I wasn't before, that the agencies that offer um, child care for low-income families was really devastated by yeah. that. Um, in Sonoma County alone, they lost 537-plus child care. And it's kind of what folks who need intervention yeah, thank you. Ruthie lifts up. Um, you may have seen in the summers, we have somebody who comes and plays a Japanese, Japanese flute, a beautiful instrument. He just had heart surgery, but is doing well. Elliot is his name. And then uh, Ruthie lives up north, and she learned this week that one of the impacts of the fire was to devastate uh, child care for low-income folks. Low-income folks are often the ones who suffer the most in these tragedies, and so over 500 slots uh, have been erased, essentially, for poor families and their children to get care. Others? Uh, yes, Ron. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Ron had uh, months of being uh, in pretty significant pain with a back injury, and he's back and doing well. On that note, so many of our prayers are about um, ailments and, and whatnot, and we periodically do healing services after the 10 o'clock service, so keep your eyes posted for that, even if you're coming seeking healing for another. I think the next time around, we're going to actually incorporate it into the 10 o'clock service, but keep your eyes it's, uh, peeled because it's a very powerful experience. Let's come together in prayer now. And I invite you simply in your mind's eye to lift up those people and places in the world and in your own family and life that need God's touch. Whether celebrating touch or healing touch, encouraging touch, forgiving touch. Invite God's presence into that place. And receive that touch openly. Oh God, we trust that you hear our prayers, those spoken and those in the quiet of our own hearts. And we pray these things, we pray all things in the name of Jesus the Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 103, verses 1 and 8 through 12. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and bounding in steadfast love. The Lord will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. The Lord does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love towards those who fear her. As far as the east is from the west, so far God removes our transgressions from us. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Second reading is from the story of Jonah, the third chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed God's mind about the calamity that God had said he would bring upon them, and God did not do it. This, too, is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. So I read just those few verses of the Jonah story because that's what the lectionary told me to do today. But as I was thinking about what I would say about just this little part of the story, I realized that we really need the whole thing. I mean, what good is the middle of a story without the beginning and the end? So today I want to spend some time with the entire story of Jonah and see what the Spirit might be saying to us through this rather interesting tale. Now, I call it an interesting tale. I think often Jonah gets told most frequently in Sunday school classes. You know, it's that strange story about a big fish. That must be for the kids. And in fact, I even put on the bulletin cover the song from Veggie Tales, a children's song, to emphasize sort of the silly and exaggerated nature of this story. But though Jonah is a satire, you know, uses humor and exaggeration to make its point, it's not just for the kids. Jonah is for us as well. So the story starts with God asking Jonah to go to Nineveh. And basically to tell the Ninevites that God is upset with their wickedness. Now, it's pretty clear that Nineveh was, in fact, a very wicked city, filled with bad people doing bad things. In fact, in her most recent book, author Anne Lamott describes Nineveh like this. She says it's hyper-competitive, full of corruption and cruelty. It would later be the capital of Assyria, 
And the Ninevites, she says, were like Klingons, violent warriors who were Israel's enemy. Now Jonah, like all Israelites, felt about them the way Ronald Reagan felt about the Russians. They were the evil empire. And Jonah is furious that God is making him go there to preach instead of someplace nice. Jonah doesn't want to go to this evil city, and so he doesn't. In fact, he flees to Tarshish, which is very far from Nineveh, opposite direction. And the story tells us Jonah goes there to flee from God's presence. Now, all of this has happened in the first two sentences of this story. So we know already that it's going to be a crazy story. And first... Jonah. Now, he's supposed to be a prophet, but really, he's acting more like the anti-prophet. Prophets are supposed to follow God's call. Prophets are supposed to obey God. But Jonah hears this rather challenging call of God and goes the other way. Now, it may not make him very prophet-like, but I think it really does make him rather relatable to the rest of us. I mean, how many of us have not wanted to try to run from God at one point or the other? Now, I know when I sense God calling me to something challenging, I'm tempted to flee in the other direction. Or at least ask God, could you, could you send somebody else? So Jonah tries to flee. But I wonder, does he really think he can do it? I mean, have any of us really been able to flee from the presence of God? Well, the story continues. Jonah is now on a boat headed to Tarshish, and God brings this violent storm upon the sea, a storm so violent the boat threatens to split in half. And the sailors are anxious and nervous, and Jonah is sleeping down below. I wonder, I wonder if Jonah is starting to realize that he can't, in fact, flee from God. So instead, he's just going to ignore God. He's going to sleep through this storm that God has brought. But the captain goes to wake him up, and the soldiers plead with Jonah, please pray to your God, tell God to stop this storm. But Jonah's not about to pray to a God he's trying to avoid. So he tells the sailors, instead, just throw me overboard. Interesting to think that Jonah would rather be thrown into this raging sea than to follow God's call. Now, the sailors don't really want to do that, but as the storm gets worse and worse, they realize that may indeed be their only option. So Jonah goes overboard. Finally free from God's presence, right? No. Because God sends a large fish to swallow Jonah whole. And there Jonah sits for three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. And he prays. And then at the end of three days and three nights, the story says that the fish spews Jonah onto dry land. I think that's a rather nice way to say it because let's face it, Jonah has been in the fish's belly for three days. He really is vomited on to dry land. Now, I like to think that God has a sense of humor here, right? Jonah, you try to run away from me, I'll turn you into fish vomit. 
But humor aside, the point is clear. Nowhere can we go that God will not find us. So now Jonah is here on dry land, and that picks up the part of the story that we heard today. God calls Jonah a second time, go to Nineveh, tell the people that I am upset with their wickedness. And this time Jonah does go. He walks a day into the city, and he starts proclaiming God's word. But if you ask me, it's still a little half-hearted. Jonah says exactly eight words. In the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, it was five words. This is Jonah's great, very short message to the people. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. I think maybe he could have given a little more effort, but the fact of the matter is that it works. The Ninevites hear this message, and they do repent. Oops, one too far. There we go. They repent. They proclaim that they're going to fast, and they dress themselves in sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was this very coarse, woven material that people of that time wore either as a sign of mourning or as a sign of repentance. It was a very public way for people to proclaim their humility and their repentance before God. Now, remember, I said this story is filled with humor and exaggeration. So in this story, not only do the people wear sackcloth, but they dress their animals in sackcloth as well. I love the image of the cows wearing sackcloth. But God pays attention. God sees that the people have repented, they've turned from their evil ways, and God changes God's mind. God does not bring the calamity upon the people that God had promised. That seems like that's a good ending to that story, right? The people repent, God forgives the end. Except this is Jonah, it can't end there. So here's what happened. The people are rejoicing, praising God, and Jonah has his grumpy face on because he is mad. He's mad at God. And here's what he tells God. That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Those words just don't even sound right in an angry voice. But that's the issue at stake here. Jonah hates those Ninevites. He wants them to be punished. But he knows that if he goes and proclaims God's word to them, God will show them mercy. He knows that God will forgive them. He knows that God is abounding in steadfast love, and Jonah doesn't want any of that love to go to the Ninevites. Now, at this point, I think it'd be pretty easy to pass some judgment on Jonah. I mean, Jonah, come on. You know that God calls us to love everyone. God calls us to forgive. Yet, that's often easier said than done. I mean, how many times in my own life have I wanted to see someone who wronged me 
pay for their wickedness. And how many times have I wanted God to do some smiting on someone instead of some loving? But then I realize that's about me. That's not about God. Because both the psalmist and Jonah remind us that our God is abounding in steadfast love. Our God offers forgiveness over and over again and calls us to do the same. It's not easy. And I can understand why Jonah was tempted to run away or even to be thrown into the sea. Perhaps those things are even better than showing love to the Ninevites. Sometimes it seems easier for my enemies to just stay my enemies. Now there's a Lutheran pastor, Nadia Boltz-Weber, who wrote some reflections on this Jonah story, and she said this, Maybe our need for enemies is so great because we can neatly avoid the ways in which we too are enemies. We can be enemies of grace, enemies of forgiveness, enemies of those we harm. And when God does not act as we think God should, perhaps we are even enemies toward God. None of us is perfect. But perhaps instead of pointing our finger at the other, perhaps we might do our own self-examination. You know, perhaps instead of thinking ill toward our enemy, we in fact may find ways that we too can be abounding in steadfast love. There's a quote from the most recent Star Wars movie that has stuck with me, even though I saw the movie weeks ago. And it says this, That's how we're going to win. Not by fighting what we hate, but by saving what we love. I think the screenwriter was inspired by Jonah. Now, Jonah has an interesting end to his story. So he's upset with God. He's mad at the people. He sort of removes himself, and he sits and pouts. And then God brings a bush to grow over Jonah to protect him from the shade. And then God sends a worm to eat the bush, so the bush dies. Very strange. And Jonah is mad. He's mad that the bush has died. But God uses this as a good teaching moment. God tells Jonah this. God says, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, which you did not grow. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons and also many animals? Jonah, you're worried about some bush and not about this city filled with thousands of people? How about, Jonah, how about you looking to save what is lovable in that city rather than fighting what you hate? I recently had a conversation with one of our congregants who was noting that she was starting to feel a lot of ill will, even hatred, toward more and more people in her life. She didn't like the way that was going. So she took a moment, and she very consciously decided to try to look upon these people with love instead of hate. 
You know, she reminded herself that these people each are beloved children of God, just like she is. She reminded herself that these people have parents and siblings and children who love them and who they love, just like she does. And she said, you know, it's not instantaneous, but she could feel herself moving from hatred to love. Now, this is not to say that we excuse bad behavior. Bad behavior has consequences. Jonah tried to run from God and got vomited out by a fish. But living in abundant love can include holding people accountable. Living with steadfast love can include standing up for the outcast. Living in abundant love means finding ways to show mercy and forgiveness instead of creating hatred and division. Now this weekend is the anniversary of last year's Women's March. In fact, there were a bunch of marches yesterday in honor of that. And I know that people participate in these events for lots of different reasons. But I looked on the official Women's March website, and I found their mission statement. And I want to read part of it for you. It says, the mission is to harness the political power of diverse women in their communities to create transformative social change. It's a movement providing intersectional education on a diverse range of issues, creating entry points for new grassroots activists and organizers to engage in their local communities. Women's March is committed to dismantling systems of oppression through nonviolent resistance and building inclusive structures guided by self-determination, dignity, and respect. Those last words caught my attention. Guided by dignity and respect. You know, not guided by hatred of the enemy, not guided by ill will towards the other, whoever the other may be. Guided by dignity and respect. Now, I agree with that, much of that mission statement, but last year, as I was looking at pictures of the various marches, I noticed especially a lot of the signs that people carried, signs that did not necessarily reflect dignity and respect. I saw signs with all kinds of derogatory language, hate-filled slogans, and I had to think, how can we save what we love instead of fighting what we hate? You know, how can we, instead of wishing ill on the other, offer love and respect in ways that still bring about the change that we want to see? So after all is said and done, maybe that Veggie Tales children's song isn't too far off, right? Compassion and mercy from me to you and you to me, exactly what God wants to see. May we all live abounding in steadfast love. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. As always, we encourage you to stay up to date on what's happening in the life of this beloved community, either by checking out your bulletin announcements or taking a look at that uh, ever-expanding website to see what's what's happening and to find ways to plug in more deeply. I'll highlight just three things for you. Next week is the annual meeting of the congregation. Everyone is invited to that. I mean everyone. You have to be a member in order to vote on the couple of business items that we do, but it's open to anyone. So it will take place right at the end of this service. That's next week. Uh, On that note, there are already budgets available for you to look at so that you can come with any questions you might have. Some are available in the narthex in hard copy, and also they are on the member section of the website, which is password protected. So you can go up there and see financial statements, and you can look at the budget for next year. We are offering a new members orientation on February 11th. If you've been coming for a while and Uh, are desiring to join this congregation in a more formal way, we'd love to have you do that. It's just a one-session orientation. Uh, See Bethany or see me, and we can give you a blue folder to take home and do a little bit of reading in advance so you can come with questions. We're also very available to meet one-on-one or one-on-two or three um, to talk more deeply in advance or following that orientation. That's February 11th. Make sure you let us know if you're coming so we have an adequate count. And finally, uh, as you know already, it's the pancake breakfast today. Uh, Proceeds of any donations that accompany this will support our very important and vital youth ministry. Uh, So I hope you can stick around not just to support that ministry, but to engage in fellowship with one another and make some new friends or reconnect with some old friends. I know you come for the gospel, but stay for the bacon. With that, I invite you to rise in body or spirit for your closing hymn number 619.
And as you go from this place, know that the steadfast love of God, who is our creator, Jesus Christ, our redeemer, the Holy Spirit, our sustainer, goes with you now and always. Amen. Amen.